What's up, it's Min, and today we've got another episode of the Quality Under Pressure podcast for you. Today it is episode four of our seven-part mini-series on COVID-19, and I was hoping to get these out at a quicker rate, but things are busy. But today I bring you my conversation with Lane and Matt, which was the third conversation recorded, but the fourth conversation released because I moved the epidemiology episode up. This conversation was recorded towards the end of April, and although the COVID-19 crisis feels a bit more normal, I think most of what we talked about in this episode is still very true, and I believe this was the longest COVID-19 conversation I recorded, but long conversations between Lane, Matt, and I aren't unusual. Back in our early 20s, we would sit around and talk about philosophy, religion, and politics for hours and hours and hours. And this conversation is a lot like those conversations, but from a COVID-19 lens. I'm also thinking about sneaking in a non-COVID-19 episode because it might be nice to have a break, but it's taking me a while to get these out even. So we'll have to see. And I don't want to wait too long to release these episodes just in case they get outdated. And I'm still so grateful people gave me an hour of their lives. So I owe it to them to get these out as soon as possible. So yeah, there are ideas and plenty of episodes that are still waiting to be edited, and I just don't have the capacity to get them out as soon as I want. But for now, enjoy my conversation with Lane and Matt. Welcome to the Quality Under Pressure podcast, a podcast that reminds you that a conversation is still a beautiful thing. My name is Min, and today I am speaking with two of my closest homies, probably, when in, in terms of at least when it comes to speaking about sort of taboo topics, topics that you shouldn't bring to dinner. You might remember Matt, who hopped on in episode 23. That episode was titled The Purpose of Life, where we actually sorted out why we exist in the universe. And then today we're joined by Lane. And you haven't been on yet, but you two have a very special place in my heart because you guys are sort of my political safe haven. And then where we, the three of us kind of came together was when I was transitioning from Christian to atheist. Um, and you guys played a big role in my development in my early adulthood. So welcome to the show, Lane. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, man. How was your, uh, like, how's your week been? Well, I am working from home, like most of America, or, you know, I actually, you know, I say most of America, and then I, I think about, I've been hearing how uh, so many people who are working from home are kind of the privileged people. So there are, you know, a lot of us doing that, but my week has been every day is the same. Every good, good. freaking day is the same. <laughs> Good. Uh, oh, we should also identify where you guys are dialing in from because you guys aren't in Minnesota. Yeah. So this is cool. So Not Matt, Minnesota. where are you from? I'm actually in North Carolina in Winston-Salem. I moved down here a couple of years ago. So yep. Minnesota yep. at heart. That's right. Bye-bye. Uh, how about you, Lane? I am in Fort Collins, Colorado for nice. less than a month and then I'll be back in Minnesota. Yeah. Like for good. Like you're not saying for vacation. Right. Moving back to the good old northern state i was gonna say north star state but it's not yeah uh how long were you in, how long have you been in colorado for now um i will be here basically the entirety of trump's term oh really yeah. okay yeah i moved here in the, uh, uh october of 2016 
So. That's an interesting benchmark. Yeah. 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 I have to say, hopefully it's Trump's term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's why I paused there and I was like, term. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Well, before we kind of like dig into the show, like I was saying earlier, like, you know, you two were monumental in shaping who I am, especially during a really strange time in my life. When you guys think back, man, this might have been like 10 years ago at this point. When you guys think back how we would just meet up and discuss religion over dinner for like three, four hours, like what kind of like sticks out for you guys? I think the biggest thing for me looking back is how different we all were in like the the static place that we were i think that we all still have the same tendencies um yeah. which is really cool to to see you know both of you guys work with those but yeah i mean we were all i think in completely completely different places i mean like i was going to school to be a pastor and now i'm an atheist and uh you know i still draw from a lot of the stuff that I learned, but like, it's a different world. Yeah. How about you, Matt? What's different for you from then and now? Maybe you might be relative to us, maybe the closest to that same position. Yeah, I feel I feel like a lot of what my like core beliefs and core moral compass and all that stuff, I feel like I had a lot of that figured out already. And so most of my overarching, all encompassing beliefs are the same. I just know I was a lot more positive about things, (laughs) had a lot more hope and uh, thought there was going to be a lot, I guess, more positive future for America and the rest of the world. And looking back at places that my mind were in just in like Facebook posts or old emails that I had sent, different things I look back on, I just can't believe where the nation has come and how different now I'm a lot more like negative over the positivity that I had in the past. I mean, I feel like I'm still a very positive person when it comes down to it, but just my outlook is <laughs> a lot different. Hey, yeah. Have you guys heard uh, the saying by uh, Antonio Gramsci? He's a Marxist scholar. Actually, uh, Pete Buttigieg's dad um, was a translator of his, which is a really interesting thing to, to look at. Um, <laughs> but he said uh, we should have... Uh, optimism of the will and pessimism of the intellect and like as matt was talking i was thinking about that like yeah like i think probably all three of us have definitely gotten more pessimistic yeah in in our like outlook but you know in the conversations that we've had i think we're all still pretty like optimistic in the sense of like we got to keep fighting like we can do something better than this and so having that optimism of like you know keep your spirit going keep keep fighting the the fight and and we got to we got to try, you know, no matter how bleak the outlook is, I think we're all kind of on the same page of like, the outlook is kind of bleak right now. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> yeah, our current situation definitely doesn't help anybody take an optimistic spin on any of this. But like when you said that too, like there was something that you gave me a couple of weeks. Was it just last week um, when Bernie dropped out? Was that two weeks ago? Just last yeah, I think week. that was last week, yeah. Oh, God, time is not a thing these days. <laughs> but, like, you know, I was super bummed, and, like, we had scheduled our Google Hangout even before, like, just randomly, and it just happened to be the same day Bernie suspended his campaign, and we got on the Google Hangout call together, and you shared that story, the story of Moses. And that really sort of 
recentered me and reminded me like you're right maybe he won't make it to the promised land bernie but like we still like we still have each other and we still got to keep moving forward and this is not the end this is probably closer to the start more than anything you know and so like people are turning 18 every day (laughs) so (laughs) so that was like my like again like i don't know it just seems like over and over you give me this sort of life jacket and so like that was another moment you gave me a life jacket you know when i was 21 22 and i was just so angry at all the pastors in my life all the adults in my life that i felt like had betrayed me when i had gone to church and when i had asked like serious intellectual questions um and none of them could answer it like you reached out to me on facebook as i was posting every like atheist quote possible (laughs) and my anti-theist fire was raging you reached out and you were like hey do you want to meet up and talk about religion even though you were a believer then i don't know you just uh you made it possible for me to still have a, a thread to religion and to church. Well, I thank you. That's, uh, I don't know if, I mean, it's high praise, but I, I think, you know, in the conversations with you guys, like, I don't, without that, like, I don't know where I would be. I don't know if I could have kept my grounding as I made the transition myself from from Christianity to atheism, agnosticism, whatever, whatever I'm at right now. But yeah, I remember looking back lane where we went and met up at three, three, one club and you, yeah. you came, came out as I think I'm an atheist now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty amazing. Like the journey that you were on and I didn't expect you to flip flop on any like core value or core belief like that where men like was really trying to figure it out. But I absolutely loved seeing it. <laughs> it was an amazing experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the funny thing about it, it's it doesn't feel like a flip flop to me. It yeah, feels like yeah. an extension of the journey that I was on the entire time. Yeah. Uh, That's you know, what I was gonna say. That's, yeah, like, it's hard to. <laughs> would you say like? Oh, go ahead. Well, well, I was, I, I was <laughs> just thinking of <laughs> the. Uh, the even the the journey of, of of Jesus, you know, going going through the crucifixion, he was on the the cross at some point, and he said, you know, Eli, Eli, the love of Tommy, or something like that, which translates to like God, why have you forsaken me? You know, like even Jesus went through like he didn't, you know, he was being killed, and he was like, yeah, I don't believe this anymore, but like <laughs> his like his message continued because the next thing he said was like, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. You know, like, I think there's a deeper faith that that is based in like, what is this world about? And can we bring about better things rather than like, what's going on up in heaven or like in hell or like, you know, wherever this like, other realm is like, if we can take like the message of, like hope and forgiveness and make it something on this planet? Hell yeah. And I think that's more what you know, the, the Bible is about than going to church every Sunday and like reading the Bible. You know, I'm going to echo that too. Like, cause I was going to say when Matt kind of said like, you know, there was like a flip flop and I mean, I get what Matt's saying, but to uh, me, yeah. your core is actually the same, but like, it was almost just like the title shifted, but yeah. you remain the same person because it's like, you know, like the reason that you believed in Jesus Christ and all of that was because you're a good person. 
and uh, like I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, you know, to me too, I remember going to my different like youth pastors and you know, the head pastor and I was going to different churches and I would ask, like, is it possible to love Jesus but to hate God? And like four out of the five said that's not possible. One was like, maybe. And so like I didn't get I didn't get the answer that I wanted to hear. But like to me too, like it was it was disingenuous to use the label I'm a Christian, even though I thought like I had certain Christian values and like, you know, like love your neighbor and stuff like that. But like I just looking around, I was just like, no one else lives like that, even though that's what we're taught. So I was like, I can't really use this label anymore. Yeah. And in, in like in America right now, like the people who say they're Christian, I mean, they're the biggest uh, supporters of Donald Trump who is very far from, from that. Mm -hmm. And it's not a, uh, it's not something I've seen anybody really try to make an explanation for. I feel like that's a big hypocrisy that a lot of us that fell away from the church. That was like the reasoning because supporters are that when the message is this. So I don't know if that's right and left, but (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's just ridiculous to me how yeah how evangelicals it's like 83 percent or something like some crazy high number are trump supporters over anyone else and how that's at all jesus's message is (laughs) quite beyond me i don't know yeah it just feels like you know there's been so many different times in my life where I sort of just defaulted into a label, into a group, and then later on found out like, ah, oh, like that's just, that's actually not who I am. So like, you know, Christianity is one thing, like, you know, I thought early on, like, oh, the message of Jesus Christ is one that I ascribe to. And I guess, you know, in certain ways I still do, but like the way that it came across the way human beings organized it wasn't for me and i thought early on like oh like democrats they believe in like equity and things like that and so i was like oh yeah they they don't treat people of color like horseshit let's go that way and then you realize like that's not necessarily true either and so Mm -hmm. like it just sucks having to leave labels that you thought applied to you but they actually don't yeah yeah i I mean I don't even, I don't know how to label myself in any means now. Like I used to say progressive, progressive doesn't mean anything anymore. (laughs) And like even left, like you say left and and Democrats will say we're the left and they're not like, there's a substantive difference, but they, it seems like every label that people outside of the democratic party, but that lean that way, try to take on, it just gets like gobbled up inside of that whole machine and then we're just like what do we even say other than socialist like they won't take (laughs) that one on so maybe like that's just what we have to say whether we believe it or not because they won't take that label from us that's so true man that made me visualize like in an effort to be inclusive like the left the political left and democrats are like this pac-man that just eats up (laughs) labels like oh lgbtq like you're a part of us now and like why how they, they would probably say miss pac-man just because they're uh they'll try and uh trans pac-man 
Pac-Man. <laughs> Pac-Man. Uh, I'm sure, and then I'm sure we'll we'll infuse our core conversation with politics, maybe religion. Lane, you always have some great story, some great analogy that brings things to to the forefront, clarifies things. And so I think when we get into our main conversation, more of this will emerge. Before we do kick things off, we always kind of do a quick speed round to we can get to know the guests a little bit quicker. Uh, we'll start with, are you a morning person or a night person? Definitely a night person. Because of my job, a morning person, um, but natu- naturally a, a night person. Are you a wheat or white bread kind of person, Lane? Wheat. Used to be white, used to be Wonder Bread, but uh, gotta get those nutrients, man. I'm all about wheat. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and I make sure yep. to look at the ingredients and hope, you know, it's it's only like six of them. <laughs> Matt, if you had to get a face tattoo, where would it be and what would it be? Probably some constellation down the side of my face. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Lane? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I've been trying to think of like a tattoo for a long time. I, I still am a tattoo virgin. But the, the thing that I, I want is bread and roses. So I'd probably get some bread and roses on, on my cheek or something like that. Nice, nice. Facebook or Twitter, Lane? Uh, if, if I had to have only one, uh, Twitter. Um, it makes me clinically insane. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you got to go for those bad takes. I mean, life is not worth living without those anymore. Man, I don't know how you do it. I don't. <laughs> I don't either. Matt, how about you? I have never had a Twitter account, so I would have to say Facebook. Even though I would probably be much happier if I would just delete it altogether. <laughs> Matt, if a bunch of zombie eight-year-olds came after you and you had a bat, how many could you take out? <laughs> Forty-five. Nice. Very specific. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. How about you, Lane? Oh, God. I mean, do they have, like, are the zombie eight-year-olds actually a part of a better world? Are they just trying to get us in on something better? Because I don't want to hit them with a bat. Um, (laughs) I feel like Matt would get more than me, though, so I'll say 37. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Would you be, or uh, Lane, would you rather be able to talk to three different languages or talk to animals? Animals. (laughs) That's a tough one. Um... I think talking to animals would be good. I have three dogs and two cats, so knowing what's on their mind would probably be more worthwhile than talking to people of a foreign language. (laughs) Matt, would you want to live forever? I think it would be pretty cool. (laughs) But if it's by myself, I think that would be rough. Um, No, I I just, this one life is hard enough. I, I feel like I feel like I can push through this one and do some good things, but I don't think I have much more than a lifetime in me before I just devolve into some bitter asshole who's unbearable. <laughs> yeah, uh, I knew I had to ask you guys that one because I know we've all kind of thought of it. If aliens came to Earth, what would they look like and what would they say, Lane? Uh, they would say they would look like Steve Mnuchin, and uh, they would say that. Uh, Americans can live on $1,200 for a year. (laughs) Awesome. Very relevant. Matt? I feel like this was one of my speed round questions in the past, and I think I'm still pretty similar with... I think they would just be like, what the fuck? And I can't imagine what they would look like. I don't... I just... It's something beyond imaginable thought. (laughs) Yeah, I do do remember you saying that. Um, And then one last one. Uh, If you could ask God one question, what would it be, Matt? (laughs) 
<laughs> Why? <laughs> same, same. <laughs> uh, how about you, Lane? I, it's not a question. It's just fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true, man. It's so true. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day, and it's just so weird that when the hurricane goes through, all hurricane goes through. There's so much praise for like survivors and like how God allowed people to survive and just like wait go back in the timeline he's the dude that created the hurricane if I set your house on fire and then I'm a firefighter I show up at your house and I put the fire out like you shouldn't praise me (laughs) so let's get into the questions and we've been starting off on a positive note so I'll ask let's start with you Lane what's been the best change since the COVID-19 quarantine Personally? Yes, yes. I'm making a legitimate attempt at reading uh, Capital by Karl Marx. By legitimate, I'm on page 22 of 720 pages. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But that's further than I've gotten before. But also, like, um, I've gotten into more of a rhythm. I've been working from home forever, and all of a sudden it became really intentional of, like, okay, this is how things are. And, like things are getting really serious and I need to take care of myself and exercise and eat better. Like I've been actually like cooking really good meals. That feels really good because we have no idea where this is going and I don't want to like end up six months from now and just be like a blob that works from home and can't take care of himself. Matt, how about you on a surface level? What's sort of been the best change um, for you during the quarantine and then let's dive deeper into this. Yeah. So I guess one of the first things that I thought was a super positive was seeing how nature is going back to normal in different places. You know, like they've talked about like the jet stream and, and uh, just things aren't as polluted anymore. Air quality's up. Like I, I guess that's like the best change I've seen for me personally. Um, I kind of also would go along the route, Lane said with like cooking at home, I feel like I've done more to like try to experiment with cooking at home. I used to love cooking a lot and uh, that's been something I've been trying to start doing again and hopefully we'll do more of. Otherwise, just seeing people being more friendly and positive out walking the neighborhood. There's so many people out and people are so much more friendly, like, you know, across the street, like waving and saying hi and all that stuff. And I feel like that was never something that we go on daily walks anyway with the dogs. And that was never something that happened in the past. And people just seem more happy and positive about things, even though, you know, the stress, stress levels might be high and all that stuff. So yeah. those are the positives I've seen. That's great. Thanks for sharing. I hear some overlap. And so um, even as Lane was talking, some questions popped into my head. You guys both brought up. I'm maybe cooking a little bit more, thinking about what I'm putting into my body. Like, why did it take this? And I mean, I kind of understand the psychology, you know, like sort of when the norm gets shifted, you're forced to find a new norm. Um, So I kind of get like the psychology behind it. But like, I don't know for you guys and let's expand on it. Like, why did it take this for you guys to sort of realize like, man, maybe I should cook more nutritious meals at home? I think number one for me is you can't go to the grocery stores often or, I mean, you could, but why do it? So I think utilizing everything we buy is more important. Having thing, you know, fresh vegetables, not go bad in the fridge. Um, 
figuring out how to use that can of beans that's been in the cupboard for, you know, months and months, um, and how to put that into a meal that, you know, might sustain you for a few days because you can put it in the fridge and have sandwiches. Like we made a really amazing, um, it was like a, just like a bean salad that it was kind of mashed, uh, like the beans were mashed. So it was almost like a, you know, like a chicken salad, tuna salad style that you could just put on bread and like toast it. And it was absolutely, absolutely amazing. Uh, and we had that for like four days worth of meals. It was pretty, <laughs> pretty good. So yeah, I think that's probably number one is just not going to the grocery store. Yeah. Same for you, Lane. Yeah. You know, um, I watched, um, have you guys seen hyper normalization by, uh, it's a documentary by Adam Curtis and aired on BBC. No, if you, if you can get some green stuff and then, uh, and then watch (laughs) that, you will have a good night. Um, (laughs) but the, the documentary kind of talks about how, like, there's this sense in which the, the world that we've been living in doesn't feel real. Like everything kind of seems manufactured around us. And it even goes back to like the last days of the Soviet union where like everybody knew something was wrong, but they kept trying to act like nothing was. And I think COVID has just made that really abrupt here. Like, we were living in this world that didn't really seem real. And so none of us were really like, or not none of us, but a lot of us were just like not taking it seriously, especially myself. They're just like, yeah, you know, like I'm trying to do some good things, but like everything's fine on some level. And like this hit and was like, everything's real. And I think that's a privileged place. Cause I think for a lot of people, like that was always the case. But for me, it was just like, I really have to take things seriously now because yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. That's why, like, again, I, I'm human too. So I sympathize and I hear everything that you're saying. But even as Matt was speaking, like, you know, to hear you say like, oh, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, we're a little bit more aware of the can of beans that we've been holding on to. And like, you know, when the produce is is about to expire and I think, yeah, you do a little bit more accounting of inventory and food when something like this happens. But like that should be an everyday practice. Like think about like how many times you get fresh produce and you buy it at the beginning of the week and, you know, things happen. You come home and you're tired. And then by the end of the week, you're like, man, I bought this thing of spinach and now it's going bad. And I had every intention to use it on Monday or Tuesday night, but you didn't. And like. I don't know. Like, I hate when I do that. Like, when I tell myself, like, I'm definitely going to eat these bananas this week. I, I bought five of them because, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's five days. So I need five bananas. And then, like, come Friday, like, I have three brown bananas. I'm just like, <laughs> why do I do that? <laughs> I, I will say the expe- the exception is uh, parsley. No one needs the amount of parsley that you can buy it in. No one. <laughs> I don't understand what they think people are doing with all that parsley, but like <laughs> I will buy parsley and I will try my best. And even if like I do use it as much as I can, there's so much damn parsley left when it goes bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's happens to me and cilantro. Yeah. Cilantro yeah, is the same thing. thing. Yeah. We actually just planted cilantro cause we felt like every time we want to make guac, we don't have cilantro on hand. And then when we buy it, we use like, a tiny little 
maybe 16th of it, maybe not even that much. And then the rest of it goes bad because in two days it just can't stand the fridge. <laughs> so I, yep. <laughs> hoping it'll grow. Yeah, yeah that's dude. Awesome. Yeah, man. But it's just like, I don't know, like I was saying earlier, like just the psychological effect, a shock, and we kind of wake up and you're like, oh, I should be more responsible with food. It's just, it's just kind of disappointing that it takes this to do that to us. Even people like, like the three of us where, you know, we try to be efficient and sufficient and all of those things. And even we don't do that that well, apparently. I, I think even when I was on the podcast last time, I think we talked a little bit about this. And I said it was one of my goals after leaving my job to utilize the food in the fridge better. And even with being home, like it, I don't know, it just maybe it's a, like Blaine said, privilege. Like we just, it's there and there's other things to eat and you just can go buy some more for 79 cents. Like, I, I don't know. It's kind of a, a tough choice. Has the yeah. current pandemic pushed you guys to think about other like positive changes too, or like at least made you aware of it? Well, here's another one. The, the three of us have been talking a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I think that's a big positive. Like, you know, we've talked in, in the couple times we've been talking through Google chat and stuff, how, this is physical everything like it's, it's called social distancing but it's really just a physical distancing and the social networks that we can utilize are only helping bring people together which i think is what they were there for to begin with but it's actually we're utilizing those things now <laughs> yeah I, I think uh after the first time we talked i think it was you matt that said like why haven't we been doing this for four years <laughs> And it's the same thing. It's like, it's just waking up and be like, why haven't I been talking to these people that I really enjoy talking to? Like we had the technology the whole time and we're just like, <laughs> we'll like send texts every once in a while. And then like electoral stuff stops happening and like, we don't send as many texts and then like picks up and we send a few more, but yeah, like why, you know, like we live in this great world where we can all like move around the country and the world, but like we know like deep in our bones, I think that people like the, you know, the three of us and the relationship that we have are some of the most important things and we have the tools right there to do it. Yeah. I it like, I like pandemic diesel. <laughs> no, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. I mean, I like that you use the term wake up. I hope, you know, it's not, I hope we don't wake up to just wasting food. I hope we don't wake up only to, you know, leveraging technology a little better. I hope this forces a lot of people to wake up about a lot of different things. And so that's the positive change that I'm looking forward to. I'll be interested to see, you know, like every beginning of every year, people have that resolution. I am going to go to the gym. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to eat healthier. And then come February, none of that shit happens. So like, <laughs> I don't know, like, will it, will this drop off the same way? I guess time will tell, but all right, I'm going to throw the second question your guys' way because I think we'll have a lot more to say. Not that we're pessimists, but sometimes we're just better at punching holes asking questions about why is it being done that way so what's been the toughest change for you guys since this whole thing started i'm getting paid 20 percent less that's definitely the top, toughest thing like i haven't actually seen it on my paycheck yet that's the check that comes uh next friday but 
I've never been in that experience before. Like I've been in an experience where like, I just don't have work or like, you know, I quit a job and I don't know what to do, but like everything was super stable for me. I've been working at the same job for six years and all of a sudden not making as much money. And like, I remember seeing in 2008, I remember seeing people get laid off and things and like, you know, I'd be like, Oh, that sucks. But like, it sucks. And I'm going to, you know, like there are people who've completely lost their jobs or in like, especially people that are in like a more of like a gray market where like they're not really on the books legally, but they can't do their job anymore. And so like, they're probably not getting the stimulus check. They're probably not getting unemployment. And so like, they're completely without a life raft. Um, and so, you know, knowing like how much it's affecting me and then thinking about millions of Americans who are in just much worse place. It's, it's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I always try to think about that too, because it's just so easy to, I don't know, put the, the barn doors up and only kind of see your experience and just sort of project it onto other people. I mean, I always think about, you know, like, do we all, need to be like live a poor life or low low income life for like three years like would that be like would we all be better off if we all experienced poverty just so like you know one day like we just have a greater appreciation for it i i think so and you know when people talk about like you know we got to get guillotines for the billionaires like maybe but i'd rather just like make jeff bezos do spreadsheets for like three years Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like and realize what he's doing to people (laughs) like pay him like nothing you know seven dollars an hour like like he pays his employees like or used to before bernie you know forced (laughs) but like yeah i think i don't know how any of these assholes who are running the economy um or you know running these businesses i don't know how any of them could continue to act the way that they do if they actually had to live on the wages that they're forcing other people to live on. I actually yeah. just saw a meme today that was, it, it said something like, you know, the billionaires are the ones wishing the economy would go back to normal. And that's why Trump's talking about it. That's why a bunch of people are talking about it because they actually don't work for their, their money. They need the employees to come back to work so that they have their money. <laughs> and how real would that be for somebody to not have a silver spoon in their mouth? Um, I mean, just look at the whole Trump family. Like, not one of them has had to work a day in their life. Donald Trump, his kids, I mean, it's just ridiculous to think, like, how they can make policy, but then not have any clue what it's doing to, you know, over 50% of the country. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough, man. And just like, you know, I don't think anybody would want to be in that position. So like I think about too, like it took me a while to like I remember in my teens and in my early twenties, like my my family would do disposable like plastic bottles. We would just go to like Costco and buy a bunch of bottled water and that's how we consumed water. And then you know like there was no like shock moment where I just thought like I can't this is not like a sustainable lifestyle. So you know I bought like you know actual reusable water bottles um, and I'm lucky that, you know, I just had the headspace to think about that and make that switch. 
but like not everyone does that. And so like, you know, part of it was, you know, I would lay in bed and think about what if I had to walk three miles to get water and then like drag it back. People complain that, you know, I have to go to the kitchen and turn on the faucet. That's why it's just nicer to have a water bottle at my, or like something I could just grab out and have it at my table. Like running to the kitchen and filling up a reusable water bottle isn't that much work compared to having to trek three miles to a well and pumping your water and then carrying that back. So that, just the imagining that was the kick in the ass that I needed. But like, to, I don't know, to actually live those experiences, to live in poverty, to, I don't know, struggle for food and all of that. Like, there's there's no way that wouldn't wake you up. I have two things that come to mind when I think about water. The first was like when I lived in Palestine, we would um, go out to villages sometimes and deliver food. And uh, I remember one of my first trips, I was um, with Palestinian guide who would bring us out there and we drove by a watering hole. Um, like it was like, you know, basically a reservoir. And there was just one soldier next to like a Humvee with a gun, just hanging out. And I asked, um, asked her, our guide, like, what's that guy doing? He's like, he's guarding the water. And I was like, from what? He said, the people. And like, we then went into the village and started talking to people like the, the Israeli, like, defense force had just taken their water like mm. they shut off their water that had been coming out of that reservoir and then they had a guy sit in there all the time with a gun and said like he was just like he was just chilling anybody tried to come get water he'd shoot them that's crazy like they can't even walk five miles and get that right oh man and the, yeah. the the other thing i think about is flint like it's kind of the same thing mm. like there's nobody with a gun but like where are they gonna walk to get water yeah. yeah, I actually just had uh, some friends stay for about a week, just about a month ago, and they came up to me and were like, wait, did we just see you fill your water bottle from the tap? And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's the water I'm paying for. Yeah, why not? They're like, uh, I mean, we'll just get some of the filtered water we brought with us. Like, it's like, uh, why, you know, like, yes, places like Flint, like, I haven't tested my water, but, you know, ultimately we should think our water is good and, you know, how lucky we are if it is, like, to walk five feet to the, the sink and not five miles to a hole that you might get shot at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just weird that, you know, I don't want to live in a world where I can't, like, if you handed me a glass of water, I can't trust the source of that water, where it came from. If you, if water is that rare and valuable, like, do you have different motives? And like, also, like, how can you own water? Like, that's, I don't know, that's just weird. How can you own parts of the earth, parts of the universe? Like, to me, when we think about water, okay, yes, humans aren't creating a, a sustainable system. But like to me, water and like so many things in 2020 is not an issue of like, do we have it? It's an issue of like distribution. How do we get it to people? And so I don't know. It's just I think you were saying it earlier. Like this is like a weird world to live in. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, yeah, with distribution, there's there's a lot of lakes in Michigan. It's not a fact that there's like not enough water there. 
But the state of Michigan has sold off a lot of those lakes and rivers and streams to Nestle. Yeah. And then, like, for, like, pittance. And then Nestle turns around and makes a ton of money just bottling that water and sending it all around the country to everyone but the people that actually live near the water. Right. Mm -hmm. It is tough. Well, even, like, I I think Trump's administration, the Great Lakes Coalition, they did a lot to uh, protect water sources from not allowing companies like Nestle to buy them up and then bottle them and sell them elsewhere. And I think that's, you know, one of the first things when he came to office was to start rolling back things that the Great Lakes Coalition was doing. And I think that was one of the reasons was to start selling off, you know, Coca-Cola wants it, Nestle. I mean, there's endless companies that that's all they do is just bottle water and use it for sodas and (laughs) <laughs> and then they're going to be gone. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And when you said that too, it made me think like, you know, that's if you're a big company operating in capitalism and the the intent is to just keep snowballing and get bigger and bigger and richer and richer, that's probably the sort of market that you want to go after, the essentials. Are we always going to need water? Are we always going to need food? Are we always going to need health care? Yes, yes, yes. So, like, why not go after those items? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think it's becoming more and more of a reality. Like, I think capitalism, you know, has always dealt in not the absolute necessities, but the, like, second-tier stuff. Besides, like, housing has, I think, always been sort of a capitalist market. But, like, and I guess, well, I guess, no, I don't even know. Like, They've kind of been doing this shit forever, but like water is the big one that's coming up now where like it's been a a public utility and it's very possible in the coming years, like we're going to lose that. I mean, you see it right now, like they're trying to privatize the uh, post office. mm -hmm. Like there's like we're in the middle of a pandemic and they're like, well, like, do we really need the post office? You know, the, the only thing that like low income individuals can use to send messages to people they're trying to they're trying to make it go bankrupt mm-hmm. like i think they're going to do the same thing with like public water utilities and stuff like that like if we don't fight it yeah you know it's really bad when they privatize oxygen or like when <laughs> you know we're talking about water but you know is air next and so <laughs> the day we have to pay for air man i will know it's fucking over at that point for your, for your bezos bezos air oh oh my god <laughs> Oh, no, they're uh, going to call it Amazon Air, which is going to be super <laughs> ironic because the Amazon is the only thing keeping our air clean. Yeah. <laughs> and it's being destroyed as we know it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Did you have a chance to answer this question, though, Matt? The uh, What's been the toughest change for you? Uh, no. Um, so when I was thinking about the question, I, I kind of thought for me and Katie, my partner, uh, it's been stress levels. Um, she's still having to go to work. And so she's stressed out that, you know, if somebody at her job, which they're working in close quarters, has it, I mean, there's no chance she won't get it soon. And then worrying about money, uh, if she were to get let go from her, you know, they have to self-quarantine for two weeks, she's not going to have a paycheck coming in, how that will ripple effect into the future, you know, with the bills that we have and all that stuff, I'm not currently working um, for me to go find a job now other than being, you know, like a grocery store associate or work at a home, you know, home store, Home Depot or Lowe's, like 
there's not really any options out there to like just go find a job and you know start getting benefits and all that stuff right away like i I guess that that's probably the biggest thing for us the toughest thing for us has just been the stress level for sure yeah so stress the instability the the fear of things can just change tomorrow that's kind of been the the biggest thing for you guys then yeah definitely the other thing though like working on our van just not being able to go out and buy things like (laughs) right you know yes home depot and lowe's and all those stores are open but we both you know with the stress of bills and stuff are cutting back on things and we just don't want to be out doing that kind of stuff like it doesn't make sense to be putting ourselves in harm's way like when we should be staying at home yeah how is the fiance doing yeah she's i mean like i said stressed out for sure because uh, they're actually down a doctor. Uh, she's a veterinarian. Um, I mean, I guess announced that to the podcast. But yeah, <laughs> so she she works emergency. So people are coming in, you know, their pets are actively dying. So it's not like you can just cut off contact with people uh, just like that. And you're in close proximity to all the people working around you. And uh, so that's just, she's been super stressed out because of it. And then they're down a doctor at her hospital. So uh, she's actually been working, you know, like 60 hour weeks, sometimes having to pick up the slack of being down a doctor. So it's, it's definitely been uh, very tough for her. Um, and, you know, I do what I can to be there for her to support her, but there's not much you can do. when that's the situation we're in at the moment. Yeah, that's tough. That's super tough. Uh, you brought up the van, Matt. Um, do you want to plug your van and like what you're doing and the and the dream? Yeah. So uh, that was like one of the things I started talking about on the podcast. You know, months back, um, we were actively looking to buy a van, um, and yeah, we we bought one. <laughs> so now we are uh, currently building it out into basically a camper. Um, you know, for van life, we want to live full time on the road, which is probably still a couple of years off, but we currently are building it and we have a YouTube channel. Um, it's Matt and Katie, I guess trail vagabonds is our, our handle on Instagram at trail vagabonds. Um, yeah, I mean, follow along. We've had a pretty good time putting things together and I've been editing videos and we have a whole build series out. So, uh, yay. (laughs) It's been cool, man. It's been cool to watch. Like you're really good at doing that. Oh, thank you. Yes. I've put a lot of uh, hours into watching YouTube videos and reading forums and all that stuff. So that's how you learn how to do it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, you know, growing up, my dad did a lot of woodwork type stuff. And so just watching him do stuff, I guess I had ideas of things, but um, yeah, I mean, I've just self-taught all this stuff. I, you know, and it's, it's been fun and I'm building, I mean, I'm like putting those videos together to hopefully uh, inspire other people to, to see that they can do it themselves. And you don't need to spend a hundred thousand dollars in some, you know, pre-built RV or anything like that. You can buy a, you know, a used cargo van and just put things together and make it work. That's, that's crazy, awesome. dude. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I don't know. I don't trust myself to do any of that. When I watched your videos, I'm like, oh my god! Like, they installed all this stuff, and they used just a picture of your like solar panels and all of that. I'm just like, man, I don't know where any of that begins. Yeah, yeah. Stress levels as well are high because of it. <laughs> cutting holes, and you know, we we ended up buying a brand new van, so uh, cutting holes in the roof to put in fans was, uh, you know very stressful <laughs> it took me a while to build the courage up to actually 
put a hole in the roof. Uh, yeah. And then same thing, drilling holes in the side of the van. We put an electrical cord, you know, in the side of the van to be able to plug into shore power. Um, for our solar panels, we had to drill a hole in the roof for that to go through, uh, and then just drilling holes, you know, to bolt things into the sides of the van. It's 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 a very very stressful process, but it has been very fun, and I've been having a blast, like putting videos together and just sharing you know, the whole, basically the whole entire process with everyone. Yeah. That's what it, that's how it comes off too. that, that, you know, it's a labor of love and even though it's stressful, you, you, you enjoy doing it. So, yeah. um, okay. I want to throw this question out. I think we'll, the three of us probably could go a lot of different directions. Um, but what has been the most interesting observation, um, since the coronavirus sort of came to the U S and we've all ha had to change our lives a little bit. I'll, that's the 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 larger question, um, but I guess I also want to ask you guys: like, have you seen some of these protests in front of different governors' offices? Yeah, and that's Trump, where I was about to go. And Trump actually tweeting people in Minnesota, people in all these different states. Minnesota. Yeah. Oh my god! Liberate. Like, how do we have a president that is doing that right now? I don't understand. But people embrace it. Those people yeah. like at at the governor's like offices are embracing it. Like you see those videos and they're like one that I saw was just like, let us work, let us work. And I'm just like, it's just weird. You know, like that's such a core, like American dream value. Like pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Like people's, people's self-worth is so tied into the work that they do, the occupation that they do. And just like, when I see that, I'm like, brilliant. You're organizing and you're going, you're hitting the streets and you're doing the right thing here, but it's just so misdirected. It's just like, you know, like you shouldn't be out there demanding to be able to work in some like bullshit circumstance. Like that organizing, that energy, that passion should be for better work conditions, better wages, and like being treated like a human. But the human being can't see that for some reason. And that's what made me really scratch my head. Yeah. So, have, you, have you guys seen the uh, protests where they are just in their cars? <laughs> there are, I can't remember what city it was, um, but there was an all car protest trying to, like, they were, you know, making the message that we need to go back to work. But they. <laughs> obviously understand that we're still not in safe conditions because they won't even get out of their car. So they're just driving around the city like in and mass, like honking and shit and blocking. Like there were pictures of them blocking hospitals and like ambulances, but like their messages were safe enough to go back to work but they like have enough understanding <laughs> of the situation to know like that's not Maybe true. <laughs> and so it makes me think about like what are the economic makeups of these protests and how many of these are like uh, managers and small business owners and um, you know people that like aren't actually going to be the ones that are on the front lines working and being in contact with other people and at risk and like how many of them are actually like people who 
are trying to extract labor from other people. And right now they can't do that. And so they're not doing as well. So they're going to go out and protest so that other people can go back to work. Like, I don't know. It's impossible to know. You can't do like a demographic study of people driving around right. in their cars protesting. But like, <laughs> I, I don't like, I have a sense that like the people out there protesting aren't service workers and, and other people like that. But I, I don't know. It's I don't I think it's impossible to know at this point. Man, that made me think like I was being too myopic about it because I saw those protesters and I was thinking, you know, like a ten for organizing, um, zero points for you know not because the ones that I saw they weren't in their car, so zero points for not physical distancing, zero points for misdirecting your energy. Um, but I thought, you know, ultimately the people that are saying we want to be able to work. I thought those are our people, you know, like yeah. they're, they're, they're demanding to work because they need to pay the bill. They need to put food on the table. But, you know, even though they're all working class, if you divide up the working class into different groups, then you see, you see some more details. And that's what that's, I hadn't gotten to that place yet. So to hear you say that, um, it makes me think like, yes, even within the working class, I mean, this is like a classic case of like divide and conquer. If you divide up the working class and think like, you know, there are people that aren't hurting as bad. And even those people are able to exploit labor that is beneath them. Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, they're going to want to demand, like, even though they have to enter into a pretty, let's say, semi shitty situation, not as shitty as, you know, like the frontline workers, but even they're they're you know relative if that's if we close off that ecosystem they're the jeff bezos of that group and so mm -hmm. they're they're gonna want to exploit labor that's beneath them and mm -hmm. I, I just hadn't thought of it that way yeah i mean I, I think there's a like the dynamics of these protests i feel like we're gonna be under like learning more about them for years to come because i think there's also probably some aspect of like possibly some you know maybe like coke brother because the other one died uh <laughs> money coming you know in to like astroturf this stuff because like i don't feel like this is an organic uprising of people i don't know like maybe that's just my like left wing like conspiracy like how the hell is the right wing out organizing us right now <laughs> but it like it doesn't make sense to me like that that this is what they're going after. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's eye opening. I just hadn't thought of it that way. It was just like you know, we're all. I was thinking those people are also paycheck to paycheck, and it's not let us work right now. It's to demand, you know, the tide get lifted in a way where no one lives paycheck to paycheck. I was like, that's what you need to be marching and fighting for. Um, but they're just they just they just want to get back and. You know, it gets sick potentially. So I was just like, did did you see the video of the guy who was crying about he couldn't get fertilizer? What? <laughs> they interviewed a guy at the protest, and he's like, we can't even go out and buy fertilizer and and plants, and like he was in tears, and I was like, that, like this is what you're, this is what gets you out of your seat. Like you can't buy fertilizer. Yeah, that's way more revealing to you. Sort of the first point that you made that was eye-opening for me. Like, 
you know, what do these people need? And they need fertilizer. Like if they were in tears because they're like, I can't get food right now, then then a little more sympathy. Yeah. Oh man. How about, how about you, Matt? Have you seen any other like observations that made you think like, what the hell is going on right now? I mean, just having more time to argue with people on Facebook. (laughs) Um, It goes along with this too, because all of those protests, everybody has a Trump hat. I support Trump signs. Like it is totally right wing propaganda, like Trump saying, get out, liberate Minnesota, do these things. Um, But I guess then, one of the observations I've had is that how how many people get their news from Facebook and from sources that are not legitimate news outlets um, and how people can actually believe the things that they're saying. Um, some of the arguments I've had, I, I, you can't even call them arguments because there's no logic <laughs> built into them. Um, you just watch people spew things that, if they watched one Trump press conference negates everything that they just said. Uh, I, I don't know. I just don't understand how people are feeling that way. And I mean, I, I get it. Like if you're not paying your bills and stuff like that, but when the government is bailing out billions and billions of dollars to corporations, which a lot of times are paying their CEOs in different packages instead of, you know, paying the general population who pays taxes and a $1,200 check is not going to cut it. Um, I don't get where that argument is even coming from. And uh, ultimately, I th- ultimately, I think it's because they're getting their news sources from Facebook and they're not logically standing up. <laughs> um, good, on you. good on you for engaging on them on Facebook, man. <laughs> I, I mean, some of the conversations I've had. So, so the one that comes to mind last night and then in, into this morning, um, somebody, when most of the news sources were saying all the IRS checks were going to get uh, held up because of Trump's uh, signature needing to be on them, uh, like every news source said that they're going to be held up a couple days and people are going to have to wait for their check. Um, but then an article came out that no, the IRS is on top of it. They, they worked extra hours from home, put in all this extra time to, um, you know, get the checks cut on time. Uh, so people are actually going to get their checks without any delays. Um, and so I, this guy, like posted this article said, strike one, you're out. Uh, I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Uh, (laughs) I read the article he ended up sending me and it was like, well, 24 hours ago, this article was different, uh, because everybody was saying the opposite, but I will agree with you that yes, now these checks are going to get out on time. And then I went ahead and, and said, you know, but the fact that we have to force IRS employees to work overtime and all these extra hours just to get them out on time is ridiculous. There's no reason. The article he sent said that it's unprecedented for the president to put his name on a check when the IRS is, you know, putting checks out. Um, and I was like, so I just spelled that out and he came back to me again and was like, just some BS about, wait, here's a quote from the article that they are going out on time. And I was like, wait a second, I just in my last comment said you didn't read the full article because this, this, and this. Now you're telling me you didn't read my full comment because I agreed with you 
And then you didn't, you know, go on to this, this, and this that I said. Uh, and so it's just been these like stupid conversations where you're like, wait a second, fucking read a sentence, read a paragraph because the sentence said one thing. And then two more sentences that added up did not mean at all what you just said. Like, I don't know. I'm just going off on a tangent because I'm I'm like so flustered by this fucking guy and I don't oh, even yeah. know him and he's a piece of shit. <laughs> uh, I, I, I've been thinking about that. Like how many like of like online political disagreements I've been having like and I haven't even really been having that many like I've been trying to just not engage but they're it's like we're living in different worlds. Like I will say something and actually the ones I've been having have been like the, basically like the Fort Collins, like progressive neighborhood like group. And like, it's like a bunch of liberals who like, don't think critically, you know, about their candidate. And like, I'll make, I'll say something and then like get something back that just does not remotely have anything to do with what I said. And that's like every freaking argument or conversation that I have online now is just like, <laughs> do I speak the same language? Because I don't understand how, like, what I'm saying does not like, com- like, it doesn't like you just give me an auto response. It's like everybody's on auto response and it doesn't matter what you say back to them. They're going to say the same thing back to you no matter what you say. They cherry pick what feeling they're having at that moment and just spew that feeling out at you. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I gotta I, get man. off Facebook. We all do. It's not a good. It's not a good thing in the yeah. world. Dude, yeah. that is such a good point. Just the 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 nonsensical responses. Like sometimes I'm like, are we even talking about the same premise? Yeah, it's like right. it feels like you know there's like this overarching question that starts this debate, and then you get into it, and then it's like, okay, you make a sort of like the first point, and then the the, the other person makes a point, and you're like, okay, we're still talking about the same thing, but very quickly it devolves into them like talking about something that's actually really different and then you try to pull them back into it and they to the same premise and then they feel like oh you're trying to change the topic no i'm not (laughs) i'm just trying to make sure like we're talking about the same thing you know it's like and so i don't know but also like when you guys were talking earlier it made me think the the right it just always seems like their messaging breaks through and that's like what we're always fighting. So it's like, you know, I was on Facebook and there I had Republican friends saying, you know, when they held up the the CARES Act and all of that in March, um, like, oh, Nancy Pelosi is literally killing people because she's not willing to let this $1,200 check go to people. And it's just like, but wait, like, that's all you want is $1,200? Like, this, that's not that's not going to save you. So like, wouldn't you want a group of people to fight for more and say like, Hey, if we're going to like do this huge sweeping act and so much of it is going to corporations, um, wouldn't you want people to fight for that? But just like, you know, like the Republicans put out a message and saying the Democrats are blocking this thing. So we can't get money to the people. And yeah, time is not on their side, but like, 
you're you're only going to get twelve hundred dollars like once, not even like every what? month. Canadians are getting two thousand a month. A For month, like, yeah. And so I'm just like, what are you complaining about right now? Like, I want them to block it. But the problem is, like, she wasn't blocking it for anything good. Like, she didn't have a good counter, like, proposal. Like, her two big proposals so far have been, um, like, a a tax subsidy um, or a tax refund. So, like, next april you're gonna get some money back but like you're not gonna have any money until then you're not even gonna have a job so you're not gonna need taxes so you can't get a refund so like that doesn't do anything good and then her other thing that she's been fighting for is like expansion of cobra healthcare, which like have you guys ever had to deal with cobra oh nightmare yeah it's shit it's the worst thing in the world expensive and my mom is actually retiring. Uh, she put in her notice, you know, like a month ago. Uh, is meti- retiring for May first. She's, you know, she's ten years younger than my dad, so she's younger um, than the actual Social Security age for Medicare and all that stuff. Um, so she has to, because her work has, you know, like a healthcare savings account or whatever. She can get them to pay her Cobra through the year. Nice, but it's like. $980 a month. So like how freaking ridiculous is that? You know, like who, who's going to afford that? <laughs> like, it just doesn't who, make sense. Who's going to afford it when they're working, but it's literally a program <laughs> created for people who are no longer at their job. Right. And it costs, yeah, yeah like a thousand well, bucks a month. Yeah. Like who, who can afford a thousand dollars a month without working? <laughs> and why is that our answer to the pandemic and the economic crash? What right. is going on? What is the system like? And like, why do we have to have all of these crazy things that like? There's all these administrators who take care of Cobra and make sure that Cobra's working well. If we just had healthcare for everyone, none of this would have to exist. Right. You wouldn't have to have all these people trying to like figure out how like all these separate weird little programs named after like scary animals like, <laughs> continue to like make a profit like cobra makes a profit too like yeah. that's crazy god it does after all the administrative overhead and all of that yeah yeah well that's think, like i mean the people ahead. that are going on cobra normally it's because they just left a job they can't get health insurance for three months or two months, depending on what HR says at the, the, uh, the, you know, the new place they're going. So basically for two months, they don't usually go to the doctor, but all of that cash, you know, thousands of dollars that they put towards Cobra basically just goes in the pocket. So. Cause then they still yeah. have their deductibles. It's not like you pay a thousand dollars a month and then like just get healthcare. <laughs> right. You pay a thousand dollars a month and you still have the same deductible you had, which like I think my deductible is like twenty eight hundred dollars. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm not gonna I'm I'm gonna be sick and I'm not gonna go. I have healthcare and I'm I've already decided. I've had it for like <laughs> six years. I I'm never gonna use it. Healthcare is a sh- health insurance is a sham. I was gonna say yeah. healthcare yeah. is a sham. Healthcare is a very real thing, but the insurance yeah. is a sham. Yeah, I think I accidentally said I've had healthcare. I've had health insurance. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, another thing too, I know, I mean, we look towards Bernie for, you know, guidance and all of that. But the fact that, you know, Bernie was like, I had no choice. I had to, I had to do something because the, the time bomb was ticking. Um, I'm glad that you brought up the points about Pelosi too. Uh, but even the fact that Bernie was just like, you know, I was kind of in a checkmate position and it's either get nothing to people or like get, get pennies <laughs> to people and kind of play that calculus and, you know, I had to sacrifice a lot, but that and also when you were talking about, you know, the tax refunds, tax refunds are they're they're a real thing, but for the the con the sake of our conversation, they're bullshit. They piss me off because it's like these rich people don't understand the liquidity of money. So like they're gonna give you money on the back end. Like I need it now. Yeah. I'm poor. I need it now. So for them to say we're gonna give it to you after you go through everything like that in that sense tax refunds are such bullshit there's a program here in minnesota where um they try to help low-income families with after-school activities and like extracurricular activities but they did it as a tax refund so they're telling low-income families like hey you know what you should do is pay for all these violin lessons, piano lessons, soccer lessons, football lessons, dance classes. And then at the at the start of the next year, we'll pay you back. And family's like, fuck that. Then I just can't afford it right now because mm -hmm. it's for me, I have to decide between heating and food. And so like if that money came to me on the front end, yes, maybe I can enhance my child's life. And so like the law is passed that way as a tax refund. Everything comes in the back end. So then another program was created to like give them like no interest loans on the front end. So like now more overhead comes <laughs> into this. More money is wasted. Just write the law better. Yeah, yeah. Well, and <laughs> like that—that's a really good point. Yeah, just like write the law better so that people can actually access it. Which is probably a lot of why they don't, because then they like they're like, well, it's not going to actually cost that much because people aren't going to use it. But like politically, think about like what's happening politically with this bailout right now, where Trump is giving everyone twelve hundred dollars, and he made sure that his his signature is going to be on that check. So everybody who gets that check knows that Donald J. Trump, with his stupid ass signature, is the person who gave him that money. And the Democrats' answer is, we're going to give you a tax refund after the election. So you're not even going to see this or really know anything about it until the election is already done. Yeah. And might not even be able to access it because your taxes might not be enough that it even matters. And our other option is like, we're going to give you really, really, really expensive healthcare, which will probably just piss you off, even if you can get it and it might even help you a little bit. Like yeah. the Democrats are so bad at politics. It's like so, so Donald true. Trump stopping those presses is monstrous, but it is so smart. Dude, I didn't even think about it that way. The political optics of all of this, getting money on the front end through a check with Donald Trump's name on it, mm -hmm. and then the Democrats' response is, we'll give you money on the back end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know why the argument, when Republicans put their plan out and then allowed, before, I mean, before it was even a thing, they were still in negotiations so that the general population thought, oh, well, here was what the plan is, and now Democrats are going to say, no, here's what we want to do. And then Nancy Pelosi put out that whole package with funding 
God knows what, everything, like things that don't even matter during the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And it just looks bad on Democrats. And then the next thing you know, Democrats just bend over backwards and then okay what the Republicans originally wanted. And then, yeah, all that, those checks come out under Trump's name. But why the fuck didn't they, the Democrats just say, hey, let's make a bill just for the American people. And then yes. let's make a bill for all the corporations so that we don't have to be arguing over all this bullshit political stuff and the people are going to get their money. Like, I, I, I just, it, it's dumbfounding how stupid Democrats are when it comes to those talking points. Like, they feel like they're smarter when they just sit back and just relax. But Republicans know that it's all about emotion and all about who has the talking point. And that's, all the American population wants. I mean, that's why Trump is president. So why does this fucking idiot have to put his name on the check? (laughs) And why do people like, they're like, there are people legit saying like, own that shit, president Trump. And just like, I've never wanted to see another man's dick in my life, but I want to see how small this guy's dick is. His little mushroom dick. Uh, (laughs) I have to see it, man. I mean, but like, think about like people who don't pay attention to the news, like, you know, just like folks who are just like drifting through, like, they'll like pick up things every once in a while, but they get that check in the mail. And then at like at the ballot box, it will come into their brain. They will see it. They'll see his signature and then they'll pull the lever. Like, that's why he has to have his name on there. Like, I think he has, like, he puts his name on everything. But, like, I think, like, this is even, like, way more politically savvy or intelligent than him putting his name on any other, like, tower or whatever stake water shit that he's been putting his name on for his whole life. Like, this is, like, it's probably the smartest thing he's ever done. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, we don't like the guy. But there is no denying this is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. That, so that guy that I was having the conversation with said, well, if you don't like his name being on the check, you should rip it up and not use it. <laughs> like, oh, okay. How does that make any sense? Yeah, I, that's, I mean, that's arguing with a Republican, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah. you're right, man. Just the, I know, like, like we, I mean, we've already discussed the benefits of getting money on the front end. Um, and I don't think people like think about it this, in like in sort of financial economic terms, like the liquidity of money. Like, why does getting money on the front end feel so much better than getting money on the back end? You just know it feels better. Um, and so, like, and Americans, our our social safety net is so is so weak. And so, you know, like maybe someone in a country with a better social safety net, they get a twelve hundred dollar check in the mail because they're going through hard times and. The, the 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 magnitude of that gesture maybe doesn't hit as much. This is going to mean so much to Americans. Like, wait a minute. My president sent me $1,200 through the mail. His name is fucking on it. And now it's in my mailbox because we're all going through this pandemic together. This guy cares about me. Like the magnitude, mm-hmm. like the American government mm-hmm. doesn't do things like this and the fact that it just happened because we're in unprecedented times man that is gonna sear into someone's brain and it's i don't know man it's just it's just gonna mean so much 
and on on top of it, you know, they're getting this check from Trump, and then he's also saying, "Well, hey, I think we should have opened by Easter, and your state is the one saying you can't because they have all the power right now. So that's why we need to liberate Minnesota and liberate all these Democratic <laughs> governments because." I know what's right for the country and I know you are hurting and that you need to make your money. And I mean, it's just, yeah, he plays to those, you know, just the necessity of that, like what a paycheck is to, to put food on the table and, and, you know, pay your mortgage, your rent, whatever it be. It's he's like, you know, as much as I, I hate him, he is so brilliant at, playing those games and from from day one in the in his candidacy like that's how it's been he's had the right people that tell him this is how shit works and if you do this this and this you know it it's gonna happen i mean go back to like half their playbook was what hitler did through the 20s to get into power in in germany like it it's a tried and true <laughs> way to get to the top and that's where I am afraid now uh, that we have an election coming up where if people go back out into the world and start getting this and have, you know, mass deaths by election time, I feel like it'll flip flop on itself and we'll all be stuck inside and nobody will be able to go to the polls. And then he'll have this emergency, you know, sorry, I'm going to be president for the next so long because we can't have. Uh, an election cycle. This isn't going to happen. Like I'm making the executive decision. I knew, know what's right for you. And I, I'm, I'm just so afraid that that's what our future is going to be with, with this guy in office. Dude, I hadn't even thought of a scenario like that, man. <laughs> I, I just, that, all I've been thinking the last couple of days with everything he's been saying, how much, I mean, talking about firing Dr. Fauci, uh, just the list goes on of things that he's making it seem one way, but things are happening the other. And it's just this, you know, this slow back and forth that he's just going to have everything in his power to just write the ship the way he wants it. And I'm, I mean, I haven't heard people talking about it, but and there's I'm no consistency. <laughs> there's no consistency throughout any of this. It's just like that's one of the tough things. Like if I mean we're Bernie supporters, but like if he did something that was just intrinsically wrong, like we endorsing would like, a rapist. Alleged, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And we're not excited about that, but it's just like you know like we would we would at least push back on that point and just like i don't know it's just like even the even the liberate the states conversation aren't these the people that are all for states rights <laughs> and then all of a sudden this guy on a federal level says like hey you should do something about this and people are like you're right like 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 let's listen to the federal government and like not do what the state government <laughs> wants to do and so like there's no consistency there and it's like now it's like yeah get out get out and like live your normal lives you want to open up the country want to open up the economy but like in your hypothetical situation where you know come voting time if trump were to say like we can't you can't go out and vote right now. It's too dangerous. They would flip-flop on that. They would yeah. flip-flop in that moment and be like, you're right. He's trying to look out for us so we can't <laughs> even like go out to the polls. That, that, that 
I think that is a really good point that illustrates exactly the conversation that we've been having forever is the, uh, the state's rights talking point. No one believes it. No one actually believes it. It's just like the same talking point that they've used to justify like slavery. Like, like it's the like longest talking point in American history. No one believes it. Like all these conversations that like we have with like these like right wing people that we talk to online, they don't actually like fucking believe these things that they're saying. They care about power and they know what power means. Whereas like people like us, I think we like actually legitimately are trying to fight on principle. But the problem is that at the same time, like all like all the liberal people that like, you know, agree with us on a lot of things also don't actually fucking believe in the things that they're talking about because like all of them were all like, you know, like you got to believe women. And all of a sudden, like when they're like person who they're putting up to be president is credibly like accused of, of rape. They don't care about it anymore. Like that's the whole conversation that we've been having for fucking forever. No one actually cares. Yeah. Like it's all about power. And the left, I think, actually does care, but we don't understand power, and so we're just over here in this corner, like, screaming like little infants, and we can't do anything, and even, like, we have the most popular politician in, in America, and you can't get, can't get him elected. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough, man. I've been hearing, you know, I've been voicing, I don't know what I'm going to do in November, and more and more and more people have been telling me, like, that your first priority should be to vote against Trump. And I don't know, it's not that, it's just not that easy to me. Like, I wish it was, but I have to think about this a little bit more. I actually haven't thought a whole lot about, you know, Bernie endorse Biden. Um, have you guys thought about that enough? Where, like, yeah, I, I have. I mean, so last election, I wasn't going to vote for Hillary. Um, I knew Minnesota, I wasn't really having to worry, uh, but I, I voted Green Party. Um, Looking back, though, having Trump as president, if I were in North Carolina, if I were in Wisconsin, if I were in Michigan, that a vote for third party was the reason Trump got elected. Um, and with the system we have right now, the Electoral College does not allow a third party to be viable whatsoever. Uh, it would just fuck everything over. Uh, so I feel like... There are two options, and that's how our political system plays it. And even though Biden is everything against what I would vote for, like it just unequivocally, he just does not check the boxes at all. He is that much better than Trump. And I feel like Bernie knows that. Um, there was an AOC inter interview that came out where she basically said, I can't really vote for this guy, but I feel like I have to because getting Trump out of office is more important than having him in office any longer. And whether it be, you know, I mean, Biden will do stuff that will help our cause much more than Trump ever would. So it's, but it's still having a voice to say, the DNC has fucked up. They need to reach across 
to all of those progressive voters and give reason to do that. Um, I think AOC spelled that out pretty well in her article where people need to feel uncomfortable. Like if Biden's not uncomfortable with the things that he's saying, you're not going to get the votes, period. Um, so I, I think we still need to have that conversation, be very loud about it. But I think four more years of Trump will be so detrimental to the future of humanity and Americans in general that I don't, I don't feel like there's any option. Like Biden has to be my vote. It's, <laughs> I just, it's so heavy. It's yeah, so heavy. It's, it's <laughs> like, I think the, the more interesting part for me is like, we're having the stupidest possible election where like the guy who wrote the 1994 crime bill is our supposed savior against a fascist. Yeah. The guy who was the vice president during the administration that deported more people than any other administration in U.S. history, he is our savior against this racist who wants to build a wall. The The guy who was the vice president in the administration that, that brought George Bush's wars, his two wars to seven wars, administration that, bought, that dropped 26,571 bombs during its last year on seven different countries, this guy is the person who we're going to put up against Trump, who's supposed to be like the unhinged guy who's going to create World War Three, like and possibly will. I don't know. But like it. How are we in this situation where literally the like after 2016, I was like, how how could they have found someone worse than Hillary yeah. <laughs> to run against Donald Trump? And they did it. He, and that's the thing. Biden is further right than Hillary was on a lot of things. And yeah. to think that the DNC lost because they didn't have the, the progressive votes, there's no reason that should ever be the case. And it's stupidity. And it, I mean, that the, the one thing that I see is that it probably plays into, it doesn't really matter if it's a, a Democrat or a Republican the corporate corporations who are running things, the overlords, whatever it be, the people who are out to make more money and, and have a, a better chance in life, they're pulling the strings. And it doesn't really matter if Trump's still president. Like if the, the working class suffers, there's still going to be more of them like that. It's almost like, you know, like the Chinese mentality, like that's how they ran their country for a year. Like people are disposable it doesn't matter. Run them into the ground, and there's only going to be more. <laughs> like, yeah. I well, yeah. The, and the DNC did that with their voters. They're like, "You guys want to go vote in a pandemic and probably die? It you know yeah. gets get sick and 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 there's not enough ventilators. Yeah, go go vote for a guy." And then they're like, the, "We got some more getting older." Like. <laughs> You know, we'll we'll be fine. Like if we if a couple of our voters die, a couple thousand, hundred thousand of our voters die because we send them out to vote in a pandemic, it's fine. We'll get some more. Like they they just do not give a shit about us. None of them do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna. I agree with I. 
I understand what you were saying earlier, Matt, about how Biden is to the right of Hillary. Um, but I'm going to push back a little bit because I don't think Biden is anything to anybody. That's the that's my issue with him is like anytime I've seen him speak, he's kind of like Trump in that way where whatever's in front of him yeah. is what matters most. And so like he, he'll he'll just say whatever needs to be said in that moment and he has no backbone. And that's one of the most concerning things about me or about him. And so like, you know, people are saying like, well, he's moving left like people are celebrating that like he's moving left right now and he's trying to adopt some of the things that you know bernie has pressured him on and just like yeah because he has to yeah i don't i have no idea if he believes in those things actually and so like this guy is like such an amoeba and like one day like you said like he'll write a crime bill and that's racist and then you know like then he'll be in front of like a, a church and talk about like Martin Luther King and how much he loves black people. And just like, this guy will say anything. And I don't like the thing in his defense, I don't think he's doing that like in a malicious way. I think he, he thinks he has really good core values. And I, I, I do think he wants to help people, but I just don't think he knows anything. So like, he'll like, if something's sparkling in front of him, he'd be like, oh, that's how I help people. And he'll like just go that direction without knowing like that's not the actual solution. <laughs> I don't know why this came to mind, but do you guys remember at the last um, at the 2016 convention where um, after they nominated Hillary, they had some balloons fall from the sky? And Bill was just going around like poking them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, like that's to me, that's Biden. Yeah. Like as well, just like poking balloons in the sky, just <laughs> so happy because like they both lost their minds. And like, <laughs> like yeah, like yeah, I think whatever's in front of him at this point, he he will go for. And yeah. like, you know, to be honest, I'll probably vote for him. I know I'm going to be in Minnesota now for election. And so like Minnesota is a lot more, you know, a lot closer than, than they were, um, than, than in previous years. Um, so surprising. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, if we had a left-wing movement that could actually, um, do something by saying we're not going to vote for Biden, but like, our two biggest leaders have already gave up the game. Like Bernie and AOC have already said like, yeah, we're going to vote for him. So like what power do we have, you know, in, in any real sense of the word to be like, no, we're not going to vote for you. Like it's not going to get us anywhere and we're just going to get blamed for it. So like at this point, until we have more power, like, that, I mean, that's, I mean, I guess what I was trying to get at too was those people that do have the power and that we look up to in the progressive movement, they're saying it's more important than our pride or whatever it be. So that, I mean, that's where like, I just can't, I just can't get by not voting for him. Um, even though I don't think it's going to be the best for the country, but it will be better than Trump. And I think that's, I think they were wrong. Like, I think if, if Bernie and AOC and Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and Ro Khanna had all banded together and said like, you know what? We're done with this. Like you guys have treated us like shit 
forever. You have never actually stood up for the workers of this country. And so we're, we're going third party. Like we're going to do it. I think that would have been a better way to go, whether they win or lose, it changes things because they actually have the people behind them to do it in a way that like the green party has never been able to do it. But the fact that they didn't do it puts us in a different situation, a different reality where we just don't have the power to like do anything with a, with a vote of, of abstaining from, from Biden. There are two words that stuck out to me as you guys were talking, pride and blame. Um, it's too easy for me to say, you know, I'm, I've thought about this in a long game format. And so like, I'm thinking about, you know, how do I burn this to the ground? And so we can like actually build something that works for people. And so that's sort of my long game view on it. Um, yeah. I, I, it's too easy for me to say like pride has nothing to do with it, but like pride blinds. And so maybe, yeah, maybe it is for me like pride coming into it a little bit too. And I can't say, you know, that's, that's definitely not it. So pride is a thing I'm thinking about the long game and kind of like just exactly what you were saying. Like, you know, this would be, the context would be different if some of the leaders had decided to go a different way. Um, but the, the long game looks a little bit more murky in the context that we're in now. But when you said blame, that made me think, you know, like if if we don't hop on board and things don't go right and we get four more years of Trump, then the blame is going to be put on us. But I think there's going to be a level of blame put on us, even if yeah. Biden wins, because yeah. then it's like, you know, this would have been easier. Like, why weren't you guys here sooner with your full support? Like, it, it really doesn't matter what happens. Like, this group of voters, this group of people are, I mean, it's going to be easier if Biden wins, because then it's just like the 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 heat that we feel and the degree of blame is it's going to be easier for the establishment to move on. They're going to blame us for a hot second and they'll be like, but fuck it. We got what we want anyways. And mm-hmm. so like, they're just going to remind us like fall in line quicker next time. But even if they win, they're going to remind us about that. And just like, what, what more, do, like, we can't voice that, you know, we're slightly skeptical and like, let's pump the brakes and like sort through the details a little bit. Like if, even if we, even if we do what we're doing right now, there's going to be blame, even if Biden wins. And so, like, that's why this is getting so murky and difficult for me. It's like, you're going to blame me anyways. Fuck it. Like, let's think about the long game and think, like, what can we do to, like, actually shake the core and wake people up? And I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that all plays out. I, I think in this election, I don't think there's anything we can do. Like, I don't think, like, I just we don't have the institutional power right now. Um, you know, like we, we bet on Bernie and, uh, you know, I love the man. He made his decisions. And so we got to roll with those. Um, I, I think that going forward, you know, uh, it like, okay. Imagine Joe Biden wins this election. Do either of you know what his response to the coronavirus is <laughs> like Trump. <laughs> he, he could be saying right now, give everybody like Rashida Tlaib's uh, proposals, give everybody a card and pre and loaded with $2,000 every month. 
there's no reason he couldn't be saying that. He doesn't even have to believe it, but like he could just be saying that because like he's got to have something to go up against Trump. But like so like if he wins, is there any like hope that he does anything for America that makes people have more confidence in the liberal establishment in the DNC? Like, I think what we have to do is start preparing right now for the fact that if he wins, he's going to fuck up so monumentally that it is going to put the left in the place where they are the only, only viable opposition to the Donald Trump style of politics in this country. Hmm. And I think that's where we have to gain our power. Like, we just have to, like like go out vote for him and then kick his ass hmm. i didn't think about it that way i just thought about it right now <laughs> but are you saying like kick his ass in such a way that they're gonna vote like people would want to vote for a republican four years later or kick his ass in such a way that if he doesn't like bend to the left there's no chance he would get like then he would could be reelected if he allows it to happen. I, I guess I'm not. But also, how do you do? How do you do one without the other? Like optically, you know, we kick his ass and we talk about all the stuff that he's doing wrong, right. and that just adds fuel to the other side. I well, I I think um, I think it's like the risk we have to take. Uh, you know, like we have to just be honest, like. If if the left had gone hard against Obama from the beginning, um, I think the Democratic establishment right now wouldn't have an ounce of the power that they have. Like, we just let Obama destroy the working class. We uh, let him, like, in the bailout, like, just hand over, like, tons of money to the banks uh while doing nothing for for homeowners basically like tarp was shit like no like hardly anyone got anything from that like so like i i think if we just like are honest about biden's record separate ourselves from it um like yeah the red's going to use that some way but like they're going to use it anyways like that's the whole thing about like when the when like people are like we can't criticize um you know like Back in the beginning of the primary, you can't criticize Joe Biden because he's the front runner and the Republicans are going to use that, um, you know, in the general, like it, like they're not like dumb, like the consultants running the Republican party are not dumb. They're going to use those things anyways. Like if Joe Biden tries to cut social security, if we like, or he did do that, if we don't talk about it, it's not like they're not going to talk about it. So like I think we just we we talk about it. We'd be really honest about it, and we draw contrast, and then uh, let the chips fall where they will. It might give the Republicans some more power, but it also will destroy the Democrats because he's going to be inept. He he is an inept person right now. He his brain doesn't work. <laughs> no, it yeah. sounds like he's trying to get three sentences out simultaneously. I will vote for him if he promises fireside chats every week. <laughs> watch the comedy goal that that <laughs> happens in front of us yeah 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 i'll take that deal i don't know this, 
just listening to this though makes me so much more not want to vote for him but <laughs> <laughs> but actually listening to you two talk about it too that gives me confidence that you know maybe i should just nut up and you know commit to voting for him i don't know i, I it's like i think you guys would understand too if i said you know it's gonna take until october for me to fully flesh things out and think about it um but yeah man it's tough it's super tough yeah, I might have the opposite. Like, I might have the opposite opinion next week. I mean, maybe I'll just say like, and like Elizabeth Warren, I need some self care. I need to, you know, some time for myself, and it's going to take until uh, November twelfth, like or the day after, whatever the day after the election is, before I figure out what I want to do. Okay, already backed him. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, man. The other thing about the endorsements. You know, out of out of the three power players in the Democratic Party outside of Biden, there's there's Barack Obama, there's there's Warren, and there's Bernie. Who endorsed Biden first? It was Bernie. Yeah. Bernie endorsed oh, Biden before Warren or Obama. Oh, I was not gonna guess that. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Barack Obama was like two days later and then Warren was what a week later. She yeah, it's the last yeah. couple of days. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I Man. mean, <laughs> the fact that Obama couldn't come forward and endorse him right away when it was his vice president means he has holdups that Biden is not good for the country. Um, he literally so- said, "Joe, you don't have to do this." <laughs> <laughs> Ringing endorsement. Ringing endorsement. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, part of me too doesn't want to vote for him because I think if the DNC couldn't realize that Hillary was the wrong choice when so many people, you know, were wanting Bernie to be there, and they can't, they just didn't matter and went and said, we have to get one of these guys at the front and Biden ended up being that guy. Like I, even if he loses terribly to Trump, I, I don't trust that in the next four years, they would put somebody forward that would, it would matter. And that's where I start thinking it's more just like the corporatist, like there's two parties, they're going to keep the status quo. And that's, that's what's wanted. Like there's no, you know, helping the working class is only helping the working class. It's not helping those rich people that pull the strings and or have lobbyists that pay people to keep staying in office. And <laughs> you know, start calling it. You know, sounding like a conspiracy theorist in a little way, but it's what this two party system does to us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's George Carlin said. You know, it's a big club, and we aren't in it. You know, that's. That's, that's definitely, I've definitely been realizing I don't belong in any clubs. It's kind of a bummer. You know, it's cool to be in, but sometimes, you know, you just, if you don't agree with what's happening, you're just not in any clubs. <laughs> Man, can you believe? So the, the, the question that kicked off this entire section of the conversation is, what are some of the things that you've been observing? And I guess I did frame it on, what are some of the stupid, sh- like your stupid friends doing that you've been observing? And it yeah. sent us down this entire rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> keeping an eye on the clock and knowing that I have one more question. Um, and we talked, yeah. we 
did talk about some of it already too. Um, but what do you think the new normal will look like when this is all over? You, you want to go first, Lane? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, everything is so new uh, and and different. Um, I so, think. Sorry. Yeah, go go ahead, because I'm. I'm <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of playing off of what you're saying. I mean, there's just a lot of uncertainty in things, but I feel like. All these things, especially like Bernie was talking about Medicare for all and, and just different programs to help the working class. I feel like all of these things have come to light. We don't have a fallback for hospitals. We don't have, you know, a supply of masks and all this stuff to dip into like we should. Uh, there's all these things that Bernie has talked about for years and years. Um, I feel like all those things have come to light and everybody in the nation know there needs to be a change. But I feel like the new normal is still the normal where nothing's really going to change. We'll go back to what things were before. And I don't, I don't feel like the things that we know have come to light aren't really going to be something that changes for the future. I, I think once we're through social distancing, one of the most I already feel it coming. There will be a moment where I'm just in a normal store and everything feels normal, but it's not because even the shred of power that workers had will be further stripped. Um, like income inequality is going to exponentialize from this. And when we come out of it, it's not going to feel that way right away. It's just going to be a sense of relief that like we can go back to like our normal stores and our normal like way of living. But like everybody's, you know, going to be a little bit poorer and have a little bit less power in the economy and and, in the government, except the people that are already on on the top. And so I, I think uh, what what I see coming out of this, um, to go back to the pessimism of the intellect and the optimism of the will, is things are going to be worse for us, no matter, like, that's just the way it's going to be. That's the way the law is being written right now. That's, that, that's it, and that's all. But we are going to have a new sort of solidarity with one, one another. People are seeing right now that grocery store workers are indispensable, that they are um, valued people in this economy, that all workers are valued people in this economy, because the second people stop working, the economy, it went to shit. And so, like, we're going to have this sense of solidarity that we need to go forward with this. And we need to take that optimism of the will and say, like, hey, we can do something better and we need to move on it. We need to take political power. We need to start organizing locally um, because I don't think we're going to have an opportunity like this again for a long time. And it's going to suck because it's going to be with the least amount of resources that we've ever had but we got to do it. We got to move forward with it. And that's got to be what the new normal is, but it's not just going to be it. We got to make it the new normal. Damn. There's a lot. There's a lot there. 
you guys definitely <laughs> took it different directions than I thought. You know, I was thinking, because like even even what you just said, Lane, it started out super pessimistically. Like, you know, they are going to, they, as in the wealthy, the establishment, are going to leverage the shit out of this and we're going to end up with less than even on the front end of the pandemic. But then you brought in that silver lining of like, no, but we have, yes, we're going to have less, but we have the solidarity and the emotional energy to act if we, if we do. It, while you were saying all of that, because my original position was the status quo is so strong. And just like any status quo bias for like human beings, like once we get back to the normal, we're going to be so grateful that we've gotten back to that place. I was mostly thinking, you know, nothing comes out of this. Um, so I hope that you're right. I hope that, you know, the solidarity kicks in, the 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 emotional energy kicks in, and we think like, if we're ever going to strike, this is the time that do it. Um, so that just juxtaposition is interesting where I thought, you know, people are just going to be so happy that they can go to the bar again. Like once things go back to normal, it's going to just, I just felt like it's going to be over. And then, you know, like if, if, if we ever do cry for help and like demand more, man, I don't know, man, it's just so annoying when people can just say, but think about the economy and mm -hmm. that, that just minimizes people and instills fear in people they're like you're right if the economy's not stable then like there's no prosperity it's just like anytime we try to fight for anything and the minimum wage better working conditions it just seems like people just say but the the economy can't sustain what you're asking for and people just wither back man it's so i don't know i don't know it's i'm, I'm glad that you think there's a possibility to strike with the iron's hot um, but I was thinking, I, I think it's like, it's not just a possibility. It's an imperative. Yes. Like we, like we, like, honestly, I think the future is so bleak that like we are at an unprecedented point where like the capitalist beast is so goddamn strong right now. Like I don't, if we don't take it right now. I don't think we're going to have another chance. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to be a prophet of doom, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> That's why I think there was radio silence after that. Cause just like, what am I going to say to that? You know, like <laughs> if it's true, if it, if it's true, it's true. Like yeah. I don't have a counterpoint to that. So and just, you know, I, I think as much as we can be localizing in, in the communities we're in and uh, um, do what we can to, to wake people up to it. Um, and I think we're going to have to cross some lines with people we don't disagree with or that we don't agree with always politically. But like, I think if we can take on um, the same battle right now, like, I think we're going to need to do that because I think there's going to be a lot of, like, Republican people who realize this is really fucked up and, like, we're going to need them. Like, not that we're going to, like, compromise our values, but. I don't think you have to. I don't think, I mean, to me, like, when I think about certain Republican friends, like, economically, they're no different than 
my position, you know, we might have some, I think, where we're different is social values. But, you know, like a lot of Republicans, too, I find over and over when Republican when a Republican has a gay friend, but not a Mexican friend, they're pro gay, but they're not pro like immigrants and the vice versa. There's just so many times it just feels like, you know, like they they haven't made that connection Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know someone from a certain population and it's just like they're foreign they're they're the they and so like you know once they get introduced to things they're not i don't know i just don't think republicans are that much different than us it's it's a facade man it's just a weird bullshit thing that we're doing yeah and and the the reality of of this economic crash and and the, the coronavirus is there's not going to be anyone that doesn't know somebody affected from it. And so like, that's why like, while that feeling is still hot, like we gotta, we gotta go for it. Like, like everybody's going to be mad when this is all said and done. And we gotta, we gotta harness that for good instead of. Yeah. Bad. Yep. Yep. Matthew, any final thoughts? (laughs) I just, I, I, I hate the feeling of the doom and gloom. Like we started this out like a decade ago. We were all so much more, you know. Were we though? All... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I'm just so worried where we are in history. Like I, a decade ago, I was like so ecstatic to be living in the time we're living in because technology is the best it's ever been. Like the, the ability to travel anywhere in the world was at our, you know, our fingertips clicking a, a ticket to buy an airplane ticket somewhere. Um, I just, you know, it's, it just scares the shit out of me. Like how things can just stop dead in their tracks. And, the people that are running things right now don't really give a damn if all three of us pass away from this this virus because they're still going to have their penthouse and golf course and all that shit and there'll just be more of us that can come work once they, once we die <laughs> like I just ah. <laughs> a positive note to end on modern day slavery <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I I knew it was going to be a vibrant conversation. I want to thank both of you guys for not only making time to actually record something with me, but, you know, we've been talking once a week over the last couple of weeks since this whole thing started. And that has been my therapy, especially after um, Bernie suspended his campaign and to have Lane start that entire conversation with like, you know, this is not the end don't don't look down too much and like we gotta i mean are you even like highlighted it at the end of this conversation you know we 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 gotta move forward we have to strike while the iron's hot and um just to always have you remind me that that's something that we need to do it's uplifting it's inspiring and um i don't know it feels like whenever you whenever you do say stuff like that it makes me feel like there is a chance so, like, you know, we talked about modern day slavery, but there is a chance. There is a chance, and I'm crossing my fingers, praying to God. <laughs> no, don't do that, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm still right there. I, I do feel all those things. Um, not to leave it all negative like that at the end, but 
It's yeah. just still so disheartening. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you guys again for hopping on. Thank, thank you. you, man. Yeah, you can connect with the Quality Under Pressure podcast at QUP Podcast on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Quality Under Pressure. Our email is qualityunderpressure at gmail.com. Catch you next time.